Heroes or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass, Rob. We are back after a short break and uh, we haven't fallen out. We've just been sick, both of us, respectively. <laughs> I caught COVID, so don't worry, guys. The show isn't over. We are back and we're back with a bang, Rob, because Manchester United have beaten Leeds 4-2. What a fantastic performance yesterday. I really enjoyed it against the uh, crazy conditions as well. I mean, look, the ball was just slipping all over the place. Manchester United went two goals up and then crazy, crazy things happened. And obviously United second half FC could see two goals, but great character. Ranya makes some great choices. And uh, we're going to talk about all of that today. But guys, as always, make sure you give us a follow on at TF Masterclass. Give myself a follow on at Hayden underscore Barney and give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. Rob, what a great way to come back to the masterclass with a performance like that. And while it has been a little bit rocky in terms of Ranić's start with all the issues that we've seen, the, the leaks, uh, unhappy players, uh, lo- loads and loads of things that are difficult to manage. Considering all that, Ranić has 25 points. Only City have more since he's arrived with 28. He's actually doing a good job, a very good job in difficult circumstances. I think he's doing a great job. I think 25 points over the period since he's been at the football club, as you just highlighted there, second only to Pep Guardiola, shows that this guy is doing something right. Now, obviously, the last few weeks have been very up and down, lots of turbulence, times when United should have won games, that they're drawn and maybe the odd defeat here and there, but nothing too serious. What we are seeing is that Ralph Ranick on the football pitch is sorting it out. So we are a tactic show. That's what we lean on. That's what we talk about. We like to talk about what the manager is trying to do with his players. We'll do that again for you today, as we always do. But I think it's good because I think there's lots of positives that we're seeing tactically and the way that Ranić is setting out his team. Biggest thing is you have to do when you're managers, you have to you have to stop the goals leaking. And Manchester United were conceding a lot of goals, a lot of chances. Now I'm not going to turn around and say that Manchester United haven't been conceding chances up until recently. I think you know we have been conceding quite a few as a team, but we have started to stop leaking goals. And the issue hasn't been defence, Rob. It's actually been putting the ball in the back of the net, and we've seen that time and again. I mean, look, just before the last two games, we beat Brighton, we beat Leeds. Two good victories, but Manchester United against Middlesbrough, struggling to put the ball in the back of the net. And as a coach, what can you actually do? Because you're coaching the side to be structured in and out of possession. They're creating chances. And it must be very, very frustrating that when you are coaching the side to play, probably, I I would say, quite complete in terms of, you know, back to front. But not being able to put the ball in, in the back of the net is very frustrating. But if Manchester United can start to do that now, they will be in and around top four at the end of the season. They will be, hopefully so. And, you know, uh, people know that I'm a basketball fan and there's a a good kind of catchphrase that you use in the game, which applies to this. And that is a good defence leads to good offence. And I think that that applies to Manchester United. So I do think 
that United have had defensive issues in recent weeks. When you look at some of the goals they've given up, again, they're weak, they're poor. Look at the second Leeds goal. You know, we'll talk about that today. Two, three errors in the lead up to it. A kind of goal that you should never give up in any circumstances, whether it be a friendly or a competitive game. It's just poor. So I do think there are defensive issues. I think they do need to be spoken about. But you're also right about scoring goals. And that has been Manchester United's problems about not creating chances. You know, when we looked at it up until the game before, Man United had something like 52 shots on goals across two games and could only put the ball in the net once. So that's not good. Um, we saw against Leeds a set piece, a corner, ends up in the back of the net, and you think, hallelujah. But we need to see more of this. This needs to be the start of these things. And I think for Ranić, you know, he said when he came to the football club, you know, you build from the back. That's where you make your foundations, and then you find your ways to score goals. And Man United have got a, a wealth of creative players, players that know what they're doing in the penalty box. It's just making sure that the transitions of the game are there so you've got good opportunities to score goals rather than maybe just taking pot shots. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that uh, we've seen with Manchester United, I think, in the past where... And Bruno, we will talk about him later. He's one of those players, I think, Rob, where going for that hero ball, he still has done that. But I actually don't want to talk about... We'll talk about him later, but I do actually want to give him a little bit of praise that he has improved that side of his game. But look... We have up on the screen here, if you listen to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. we have the match summary. So some main things, Rob, here. This is from who scored. And looking at some of May United's strengths in the game, look, created a high number of chances relative to the possession. Stole the ball often from the opposition. That's the, the pressing that we like to see. They're effective at creating goal-scoring opportunities through individual skill, and they were strong at finishing. And interesting, the weakness here was the aggressiveness. And we talk about aggressiveness quite a lot, don't we? We talk about you have to bare minimum show aggression and intensity. But what I really liked about that first half performance was that we weathered the storm in terms of, I mean, I mean pardon the pun, but in terms of leads and the fans and, and obviously the big, the big derby and big rivals. And then we started to play a little bit. And, you know, we've done this quite a lot, I think, over the last four or five games. Started very well. First half, very, very good, creating chances. But what I liked was that there seems to be a nice balance in midfield. There was in the first half. Paul Pogba was absolutely supreme. Bruno Fernandes was picking up nice pockets of space. Uh, and McTominay was doing a lot of the dirty work. And then you, that allowed the front three to really play. Yeah, look, this was about three players for me, Manchester United. And I think that this is going to be a common narrative going forward. So we're going to talk about three players today. And I'm sure we'll speak about them a lot more in the weeks ahead. But for me, this is all about Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandes and Jadon Sancho. These three players are your most creative players. They're the guys that can do things out of the blue that can get you a goal when you need it. So you've got to kind of rely on them to do those things and support them around there. So, you know, I think when we looked at Ranić's tactics and we've talked a lot about counter-pressing the 4-2-2-2 in terms of how the, the funnel system, how he likes to play it. Um, what we're seeing is that Ranić's working those things out now to free up creative players, to allow them to go and do their job Still obviously having to work hard, but just being less reliant on it systematically. It's all very good having tactics, but if your team can't interpret the tactics or they run out of gas with 10 or 15 or 20 minutes to go, you've got a problem. So I think that that's kind of the, the story of this match. We think about with Leeds, how bad the weather was. So you had, you had that to contend with. So you couldn't really pass the ball so much on the deck. But that's going to sap you. But United did get to 90 minutes, didn't they, Haydar? And they didn't run out of gas. 
So there, there's obviously something that has physically been addressed there because we saw in the previous two or three matches, there was some really nice counter-pressing, but they were just completely emptying the tank. And as intelligent individual footballers, you've got to find a way to get to 90 minutes and not hit the wall at 80 minutes. You know, Bruno Fernandes didn't hit the wall at 80 minutes this time, whereas in previous games, you know, he looks like he's been run over by a bus in matches because he's just been working so hard. So I think when you look at the um, the match summary there, and we'll, look, we'll talk a little bit more about the formation in a second, uh, I think key there, it says uh, one of the things that United were poor at were, was the aggressiveness. And I think that's been attributed to when you look at the stats. So Scott McTominay playing in a more defensive role. Our, our, um, our setup here says 4-2-3-1, but it was at times a 4-1-4-1, allowing Scotty to kind of be more defensive. When you look at his stats, he only won 25% of his duels. Now, that's not good. He gave the ball away 19 times. Well, when you play in front of the back four, that's not good. So when we talk about why Leeds got back into this game, which they shouldn't have done, and why there were problems, I think there's still core issues there that we'll see week ahead. But but it's up now to Ranić to keep addressing those, finding a formation, finding a system that negates all the bad stuff and allows you to go and do the good stuff. Yeah, great point on McTominay. I actually did want to bring him up because what I absolutely love about McTominay is, and let's take away from his ability, but he, you know that as a manager, in some ways he's a dream, and I'm going to talk about his attitude because... He will leave everything out on the pitch. He's aggressive. Mm -hmm. And we see that aggression sometimes, like you mentioned, obviously. I mean, look, I'm surprised he didn't get sent off yesterday. If I'm completely honest with you, he made what five or six fouls. I am quite surprised he didn't. But he gets stuck in and you need that sort of character in the squad. But I think when you're playing against the top, top sides, the Manchester City's, the Liverpool's of the world, you can't give the ball away that much. And uh, I think, you know, that's an area probably Man United do need to upgrade on. But I, I, I honestly do see him as a part of this squad and as someone who... I want to have around the squad because he has that right mentality and, and that's what you need sometimes. But just talking over here as well, Rob, you know, obviously Maguire had a good performance and Lindelof. Lindelof, only 6.7 on the, the scoring. I thought Victor Lindelof was sensational yesterday. I think he pushed Sancho very close to man of the match. He carried the ball forward. Progressive carries is something that I don't think he's really known for. Carried the ball forward multiple times. Lovely pass to Sancho and then obviously that beautiful cross for Bruno. No Varane. I don't think Varane's dropped. Obviously, we see the hysteria before every single game. Oh, so-and-so is not playing. So-and-so has dropped. Obviously, Pogba didn't start the other day. Pogba's apparently dropped. That's not the case. Rotation is a very, very key part. Man United have some key games. But going forward, do you see Maguire and Lindelof as a partnership? Or do you see Varane pushing his way in? We've seen, obviously, with a lot of these English pundits saying that Varane is, has been terrible. I don't know what they're watching. Obviously, that gets them their clicks. But I do think that United are in a good position where... Maguire needed that goal for his confidence. I'm still not convinced of Maguire. I think there are fundamental issues to his game, his speed being one of them, and his uh, athleticism that makes him a little bit of a hindrance when we're getting transitioned on. But I do think Man United in a great position where they have three centre-backs they can choose from. Yeah, look, I think Maguire and Lindelof are competing with each other now because I think the first starter generally is Rafael Varane. I think when you look at what Varane offers, his mobility, his technical sides of his game, how he can find players out from that pocket, it's important to have a player that can do that. Now, you said there that Victor Lindelof's not known for his ball-carrying skills. He was brought to Manchester United 
for his ball-carrying skills. That's why he was brought to the club. The reason why he didn't start games in those early days is the Man United also then went out and bought Nemanja Matic, and Matic became the ball-carrier out from the back, and it meant that Lindelof wasn't starting matches. So that was what Mourinho decided at that point. So Lindelof and Maguire have both got very similar attributes, so it does not surprise me when you see one of them put the ball on the deck and burst through that first channel, because they can do that. They're not quick players, but they are technical players. Now, you said that Lindelof might have been close to man the match. Not quite sure for me, not 100%. I think he made one fantastic play, which obviously gets you the goal. And that's where he he makes that one-two, gets into midfield, lays it off to Jaden, and Jaden makes that sweet little chipped, uh, what I call playground ball over the top to Bruno. Bruno heads it in, you score. Fantastic. Um, I think Lindelof has got quality, but I still think Lindelof's weaknesses that we talked about every week last year are still there. It's still a thing. Maguire, exactly the same, has qualities, was good last year, has been shocking this year. So I don't think one game negates any of those things. I still think Varane is the, the first piece of the puzzle in there and he will play. He's been ill. Um, he's had knocks. They're going to use him sparingly when there's issues there. But at the same time, I still think that he's your central piece going forward when you look at maybe the age and the fit. And it's up to Maguire then and Lindelof to prove that they're good enough to be their partners. Good partnership to be together in this kind of game where they know each other and you don't really have to mess around with things. But at the same time, yes, some good upsides, but nothing to make me that ridiculously excited. I, I really don't think it was anywhere close to being man of match. I think it was at least three or four players who were ahead of Lindelof on the day. I think it was up there with Paul Pogba and Jane Sancho. I mean, Sancho was really? sensational. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do, definitely. I think he had he a good was, game. Uh... He was, he wasn't, he wasn't poor. But I'm really glad that Dan James didn't run at either of them. Because if Dan James had <laughs> run at either of them, this could be a very different podcast. So I was like, I was pleased, and the weather helped us with that because it meant that Leeds couldn't really play through balls or expose pace or anything like that. They had to go a bit longer, and that didn't suit them. It probably actually suited Man United more yeah. than it actually suited Leeds. Well, we're, we're talking about that here, obviously, and you can see with the graphic up here from who scored again, United had 52 long balls, which was quite interesting. Let's talk about that a little bit because Ranić's philosophy, get the ball, win the ball back quickly and get the ball forward. That's, you know, verticality is very, very important. And United, United are showing that. They're starting to show their understanding the... The, the philosophy and, uh, you know, the instructions from Ranić and, and that's that's positive. And look, it was going to take time always. Um, I was actually course, quite yeah. positive after, which we haven't done a couple of masterclasses, but after the Middlesbrough game, United completely dominated that. The games before that, United had dominated. The frustrating thing, it's just about clicking, wasn't it? Scoring those chances. And we've seen that the last couple of games. But the, the, the statistics are suggesting that United are going long a little bit more. Which means, for me, that means that, uh, look, they're just trying to get the, win the ball back quickly and get it forward and try and create score, scoring opportunities. Yeah, they're trying to be more economical. So I think when you talked today about verticality, we've talked about that again a lot over since Ranjit came to the football club. And that's very true. And the stats are showing that. What I think is very interesting here is how who scored have, have projected this. are saying long balls, one column, short passes, like they're two very different things. Could you not say long passes? And short balls, 
You could do, couldn't you? So I think there's a kind of Englishness there about what is a long ball. So I don't think United are playing long ball systems. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're getting out quickly in transition and they're playing the ball ahead of their, their players rather than playing it just to feet with the back to goal, which is how it should be. That's the Rangit way and that's the best way to do it. It's the way Liverpool do it. And Manchester City, when they play short passes, they play a ton of long passes as well. So I just think the United are reflecting that. When looking at the stats, it's key here to show that Leeds on the day had more short passes and more total passes than Man United. So again, the, the preconception would be that Man United being the bigger club will play more short balls, will keep the ball more, will play more possession football. But what we are seeing, I think, week to week now is that this whole theory of the counter press is something that Ranić's trying to do, but he's modifying it. So it's not full on you know, banging, counter-pressing, get the ball, one pass and goal. It's more a case of setting the traps. Again, we've talked about it a lot. They're setting good traps and they're getting the ball back in good areas. And that means they can then play a long pass, not a long ball. And that's why players like Sancho, Pogba and Bruno become very, very important in that system because you want them on the ball when you counter-press and you want them to on the ball quickly within like one pass so they can make that choice to make a good decision. And that's why we were saying before Paul Pogba came back, how important he was to the system. You can have your thoughts on Paul Pogba. You can have your thoughts about all the off-field stuff and whatever, blah, 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 blah. But there's no doubting, Rob, that he is a supremely talented footballer. He makes Manchester United better. He's unplayable. I mean, yesterday he was unplayable for such a tall uh, for such a tall player, you know, his his athleticism, his ball control in tight areas is phenomenal. Good comment here, Rob. Before we do go into Pogba, Sancho and Bruno in more detail, uh comment here from Larry saying, one of the pleasing things about R Ralph is that irrespective of who the star name is, they show fatigue, they get hauled off very dissimilar to Oli. I do actually want to talk about that because <laughs> I sat there and tweeted, no, what are you doing, Ralph? Why are you taking Paul Pogba off? That is... <laughs> That is nuts. What are you doing? Did and Ralph just respond say, when you did it? When you did it. Oh, Ralph was like, shut up, Hayden. You do a podcast, just be quiet. You know, nothing. Um, so, no, I, I sat there and I thought, Paul Pogba, I mean, he was starting to fatigue a little bit. We have got the Atletico game coming up. So, obviously, United have big games coming up. But I, I was sitting there thinking, Paul Pogba was United, one of United's most dangerous players. I thought Bruno had an okay game. Obviously, he scored a goal. Um, but I was thinking, you know, his retention in the final third was very, very important. And I think taking Pogba off, um, was a mistake. I didn't have an issue with Fred coming on, actually. I was I was perfectly happy with that. It's just I thought Pogba should have been the one that stayed on. But look, Ralph got his his um, substitution spot on. He brought in Alanga as well. And I think that was very, very key is that when what Fred and Alanga do offer you, though, is they offer you energy. They offer you um, fresh legs. They offer you, offer you intensity. Uh, look, that was fantastic for Fred for the goal. Jen Sancho with that beautiful uh, layoff for him. But this is the thing, isn't it, that sometimes the most obvious substitutions aren't the right ones. And Rani got a spot on and he got rewarded. And I was delighted for Alanga because you know what? He got a coin thrown at him. Absolutely disgraceful behavior from the Leeds fans. And uh, look, he should have buried that one. But, you know, he, he finished the other one. And that, that was fantastic. And it was really great to see. And I think what Rani has done very well is that he has actually rotated the squad. And I think Oli didn't really do that as much. Obviously, he was trying to save his job. He was trusting certain players. But we are seeing that like Paul Pogba will come off. Ronaldo will come off. I think that's very, very key for those on the fringe. And Jesse Lingard got a start as well. So these fringe players who weren't getting a look in now suddenly are in contention if they work hard in training. Yeah, look, substitutions are not always just a gut reaction from a manager. It's about data interpretation. So what do they know, say, about Paul Pogba? Well, Paul Pogba has been brilliant recently. 
He was brilliant again against Leeds United. You know, he dominated the first half the way he was playing, playing in that floating eight role where he wasn't really in a double pivot. So, you know, we showed before that it was a kind of 4-2, uh, 4-2-3-1 shape, but it was more 4-1-4-1. It allowed Pogba to get into the left channel. It allowed him to get at the fullback. And we know that he skinned the fullback two or three times. But I think what was important there is that you must protect Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba would have played 90 minutes if you'd let him. But what happens if Paul Pogba turns his ankle and is out of the Atletico game? Well, that could be the difference between you qualifying for the next round of the Champions League and not. So Paul Pogba, I would say at this moment of time, as we stand still here, is the most important individual footballer at Manchester United. Why? Because he's the only one that can do the things he can do. Bruno Fernandes is great. Ronaldo can score you goals now and then. Jadon Sancho is popping. But no one... But no one can do what Paul Pogba is doing at Man United and no one in Europe can do what Paul Pogba does. So this is why when we talk about him, it's not a case of just lauding him or saying that you're a Pogba fan or not a Pogba fan. Go look at the metrics, go look at the stats. It's all there in black and white. I agreed with the pull at the end because I think at that moment with 25 minutes to go, you needed some energy. And you just said it there. You know, that's what Fred and Alanga give you. That was an energy substitution to allow Manchester United to motor on. Because in, in other matches between 60 and 70 minutes, Man United have died in those games. You know, they might have had 50 shots and they're, they're drawing and, you know, then getting knocked out to likes of Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. So I think Ranić's learning those things and seeing knowing what his limitations are with his squad. So I think that when you look at kind of Pogba's overall contributions, the effort level is really high. Some people are saying, oh, well, he's in the shot window and all of this. I don't believe that at all. I just think he's fit now. And because you've got a fit Paul Pogba, you still need to look after him and make sure he's there available to the end of the season. He looks leaner, Rob. That that's what I'm seeing. He's looking, you know, he's looking like you said, fit. He's he was I mean, he was meant to come back, wasn't he? Maybe sort of just just before New Year, I think. And but he obviously didn't come back till February time or around about then. I think that was actually well managed by by Ranik and the the medical team. But what I do also want to stay say is that. I think we can kind of put to bed. Uh, he can be inconsistent, don't get me wrong, but he's playing in his best position now. Randick said this, I want I want Bruno and Pogba's two eights. And yeah. that's where he's excelling and you're getting him forward. And if United can keep hold of Paul Pogba and he can obviously play like this more regularly and you know you put the pieces in the round, because Jane Sancho is massive for Paul Pogba as well. We talked about in the, the Europa League final where... I believe Pogba should have played off the left because we were lacking. We're playing against a very low block. We were lacking someone that had good ball retention in the final third. Rashford is wasteful. Uh, and then now Jaden Sancho offers that, doesn't he? So you can almost push Paul Pogba a little bit further back into that midfield. And uh, then you've got two players of really high quality, high IQ, um, good decision-making, great ball-playing ability. And if you get the other pieces in place, then United are going to have a good side going forward. Yeah, and that's why the 4141 smells good. Does it pass the smell test? Well, what does it allow? It means that McTominay, being a more aggressive player, can go do some chasing. So you can allow him to be in those areas. I agreed with what you said earlier on. I think I think Scott McTominay should have been sent off. He definitely had two yellow cards in there somewhere. The referee had a shocker, no doubt about it. But I think with Paul Pogba, I like to see him in that floating eight role as he played against Leeds, where he can get in the channel, get close to the box 
and impact the game. You know, this is what it's about. Paul Pogba can do the number six duties, but Paul Pogba's not great at them. He doesn't even really like it, but he'll do as he's told. You know, if he's playing number six, he will do number six things. But then, of course, fans will get annoyed when he loses the ball in tighter areas because obviously he doesn't pass it quickly. But when he's at the top end of the pitch, it allows him to link with the most dangerous players that Man United have got. So I want to see this 4-1-4-1 kind of continue because it means that within the system that you can flick to 4-3-3 very, very quickly. You can get the wider players like Sancho into more dangerous areas in the box. And it's not a completely rigid wide system. And this is what Ole's system was. When we talked 4-2-3-1, the double pivot was very rigid. Fingers, as we always do here, that's how the double pivot works. That's, that's not what United are doing in a 4-2-3-1 now. It's not how it is. You're getting one player who's linking with the centre-back, sitting there in a single pivot. And the other player, obviously in this case Paul Pogba, but it can be other players, is now going. You could play Hannibal in that system. You can play Fred in that system. Fred has showed that he's a number eight up here in his brain. And when he gets in the box, he can make good number eight decisions. So we saw that against Leeds. We've seen it in other games. And I think Ranić will carry on with this now because the 4 one was probably too... Uh, I'm talking about Nolly Gunnar Solskjaer's 4 one probably too rigid, impinging your best players. Ranić is finding ways to unlock those players. <laughs> It's what we said after the West Ham game last time we did the masterclass. And there were times where Bruno Fernandes was suddenly in the number six position, picking up the ball. And you saw McTominay going forward. You saw, you know, uh, Fred going forward, etc. Yeah. And that's what we talk about fluidity of system. That's why totally. when people say, and that's why I don't think 4-2-3-1 is a negative system. It's just how a coach interprets and implements it. And we're not playing with double pivots. And, you know, I think I think it suits the squad. I was I was look, I'll be honest with you, Rob. When I saw that Ranit was going to the 4141, I liked the idea of it, but I did have concerns about McTominay. And I think, like I said earlier, I really do like his his energy, his uh, his his passion, his desire, his attitude. And I think want him in that squad. But I think if United he can be a liability then. I think that's the next area that United need to be looking at in the in the window. I know obviously that's that's forward thinking. But uh, for me, if you want to be able to play Bruno and Pogba in those positions, you need someone there who's one looks after the ball better because that's very key. And that's why I think when United in uh, second half of game, second half of games have been struggling is because of the fact they have no one in there who can slow down and control the tempo of the play. Play our midfield is just you know letting letting the opposition through, and you're going from one end to the other, end to end. You know, opposition attack, we attack. Sometimes, and that's what United did so well. I know we're looking back at Paul Scholes and players like Michael Carrick, but. It's what the top sides have. You know, you look at Man City, they, they're they able to do that. Fabinho does it for Liverpool, Rodri, etc. They hold on to possession, take the thing out of the game and they can, you know, dictate up the tempo when it needs to be done or take the thing out of the game. And that's why I don't like the term defensive midfielder. Go and buy a defensive midfielder. You don't need a defensive midfielder. You need a ball player. You need someone that can get the ball in the deck and go from A to B, 15-yard pass and play it 99% out of the 100 all the time. That's what you need in there. So you need someone that can be ball dominant, that can take the ball off centre-backs and full-backs, can win the ball back and then distribute it. So when you say to Scott McTominay, go and win the ball, Scott McTominay can do that. But if he's losing the ball 19 times in front of the defence, which he did against Leeds, that's a problem. If he's only winning 25% of his duels, that's a problem. That's showing that he's actually not being efficient out winning the ball back. He's only winning the ball back one out of four times. So what Paul Pogba needs, or Bruno, whoever's there in those floating eight roles, is not a Nemanja Matic. You don't need someone that kind of just sticks and never twists. You need someone who's cultured. 
You need a Ruben Neves. You need someone who's going to move the ball on quickly, but then also break forward. So that is what, what Scotty's doing. So Scotty, I actually think he's good at that and actually underrated. Fred is good at it, but underrated. He They can go and play the number eight roles and have duties on the edge of the box on the opposite end of the pitch. The issue is that first wave of pay, uh, play at Haydar, getting the ball off one of those centre-backs or maybe one of the full-backs and then moving it quickly into someone's feet so you can turn and go. That's the method of the counter-press. You win the ball, you play, you play that quick pass that's got to come out. And I think that's where McTominay's weaknesses really do kind of glare. Um, no problem for him. He's, he's what he is. You know, he, he's that kind of player. He can improve, a good coach will improve players in that way and say, right, get the ball and, you know, make this short pass rather than that short pass. And I think that's a learning process for him. He's not a kid anymore. He's got a future at Man United, but you do definitely need a number six to come in there to do those duties. I'm not going to say you need a defensive midfielder. I'm going to hold on to that because you don't need someone who's just purely defensive. You don't need an Ndidi. That's not what you need. You no, need no, someone, no, no, definitely You not. need someone who's actually can get the ball, who's actually more Paul Scholes. Some, someone like Neville, Neves, to be honest. I know he's not a he's not pure perfect. number six, but he, but he is has a, he's, he's a modern number six. He is a pure modern number six. Exactly what a number six is now is someone who gets the ball down and doesn't go completely long and doesn't have to make you know, these mad tackles like a Wambasaka style kind of sliding along the ground. You get the ball, you turn, your chin goes up and you work it. That's what Man City do. That's what Fernandinho does. That's what Rodri does. That's what Kante does. They win the ball back and they give it simple and they go. And that's really, I think, what Man United need. That's why Declan Rice is the perfect player on the wish list because he'd be the perfect number six, but he could also burst forward, do the number eight. He could be a number 10. He can get in the other end of the box and score your goals as well. <laughs> Declan Rice has the most progressive carries um, of any midfielder in the league, I believe. And, and, that, and that's, it's no it's no surprise that that's why West Ham are where they are. Like yeah. if Declan Rice breaks his leg tomorrow, West Ham come 10th. Yeah. That's a bottom dollar. So this is how I think it goes with individuals. So this Man United team, if you brought a midfielder that performed that function and you signed Paul Pogba to a new contract, then you've suddenly got a really, really good midfield. But at the moment, Man United's midfield still a little bit fractured. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the area they need to definitely be investing in this in the summer. But look, Rob, let's talk about Jaden Sancho. Jaden Sancho is a player that I, I absolutely adore him. I think he's fantastic. I was so excited for us to sign him. It's taken two years for him to come. And something that we've been saying on the masterclass is look, just give it time because it does take time to adjust to a new league. It's uh, He's come from a very defined system at Dortmund to a system which has been very fractured. We've seen that obviously under Oli. It was, it was a struggle. He was in and out of the team. He's playing on the right. He's playing on the left. I actually very much like him on the left and I like Rashford more on the right. I don't think Rashford's a solution on the right. But the reason why is because I think with Rashford on the right-hand side, it forces him then, you know, he, he's very predictable cutting in. It forces him to make those back post runs. We saw that obviously in the uh, game against West Ham where he scored the winner. I think that he, you know, he holds width better. He looks to play crosses rather than always cutting inside. But look, Jane Sancho has been playing off the left-hand side. Ranić has been swapping his his um, you know his wingers you know they're swapping sides during the game. We saw that a few times. We saw that against uh, Brighton and it didn't work in my opinion when we moved Sancho over to the right. So again, Jesse was on the left at times. But look, you can't look past what a great performance Sancho had. Twenty-one final third passes, eight touches in the opposition box, three successful take-ons, three chances created, two assists. He was sublime. He's starting to cook. He's starting to pop. We've been saying this and. Build this team around him. He's phenomenal. And I actually think I'm quite liking the combination of him and Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw was a bit hit and miss 
yesterday for me. You know, he did some great things that defensively for that goal was, in my opinion, shocking. Uh, you know, losing his losing losing his man or not looking around and seeing the run in behind him. But uh, how good can Jaden Sancho be, and how important is he for Man United moving forward? Because his decision making and his um, you know his his end product is so so mature for his age, and that's what you see with young players, don't you? That young players. They, Alanga, I think, is a perfect example. You know, they've got potential, but perhaps decision making and that execution is off. But Jane Sancho has it in bags already. I think he can be an absolute phenomenal player for Man United. Well, look, we've also got to remember two things, haven't we? Jaden Sancho was targeted by Man United and other Premier League clubs as well. Why? Because at Borussia Dortmund, for his age group, he was the best player in the world for his age so his ceiling is really really high so we're starting to see the first kind of turns of that I've never been worried about Jaden simply because I do think that when you come to Man United it can take a long time for you to get there sometimes a player is more Donny van der Beek and never quite gets over the edge and has to go somewhere else to prove it and some players like Jaden you just wait and see and you work with them uh, it's interesting we talk about stats and everyone knows to kind of take it from a metric standpoint. When you look at his final season at Dortmund, 100% of his productivity, so that's a big number, literally all of it was coming through the centre and the left. Nothing from the right. Yet we all feel that Jadon Sancho is a right winger or a right-sided forward. So I think there are reasons why Man United have gone that way and why Ralph is kind of starting him on the left in the double up. So I think when you look at the pairings, so you just mentioned Luke, I think when you look at Shaw and the way he overlaps and opens that up and say compares that to Aaron Wambasaka, who can overlap, but it's just has no productivity. It means that Jaden's always going to get an extra second or two of space and time on the left. So this is why we're seeing him starting on that side. I think it's also pertinent to mention Marcus Rashford. I think Marcus is massively out of form. He really, really is. Decision-making isn't there. Work rate isn't there. And I think we're seeing exactly why he's not getting on a football pitch. And it shows, doesn't it, in years gone by, Marcus Rashford would have been the first name on that team sheet against Leeds, wouldn't he? You know, Mancunian, you know, heart and soul, getting one against Leeds. No, that's not how Ranić does business. Ranić does it on truth you know, and what's really happening. And I think when you look at Jaden, I just think that he can be the superstar of this team in years to come. You know, we talk about Ronaldo with the number seven on his back. This boy is the future number seven. He'll have it either next year or the year after. And this football club will be built around him and, and others like him. Man United can't win trophies just with one Jaden Sancho, but they can win trophies if he's part of that system. I like what he's doing. I think his body of work is great. He's an artist on the football pitch. I love the street football. You think of how he does things. It's all little touches and flicks. He dribbles with the ball really well. And he's really economical. The other side of it, Hayden, that like people don't talk about is that he works really hard. He really does. He goes and helps the fullback. He gets back into position. Might not be the most natural defender, but in the modern game, it's about movement. It's about mobility. And he's got all of that in stacks. And at the same time, he's also very, very dangerous once he creeps into that penalty box. He would be fantastic as one of the front three at Liverpool or in Manchester City's team. So we need to understand that and make sure that we can assimilate him now into our team. Oh, he would uh, He'd be starting for both both teams, Rob. And both managers absolutely adore him. He's, you know, I really do think he's, it, the sky's the limit for him. Obviously, he needs to, whoever's the next manager needs to build a side around him. And, you know, obviously, I think what's, what's benefited him the most is that there is a defined system now. And I, 
the, the players are getting coached into it, players are understanding their roles. And he's the one. And Randy said it when he came in, you know, Randy was is a big fan of him, wanted to sign him at Leipzig before he went to Dortmund. But I think he was always the player. There's two players, him and Donny van der Beek. Obviously, Donny's gone now. But I thought two players have come from defined systems with a manager who, you know, who coaches his side, you know, very well drilled, etc. And I thought that definitely Sancho was going to be someone who who would thrive. But you make a good point. I believe only, was it Shaw and wan I can't remember if anyone has the answer in the comments. There was two players that made more recoveries. I think Sancho made something like nine recoveries or something like that. And that's what you need from your wide players. And we look at Rashford. I mean, he didn't make that run back against Southampton. Southampton scored that goal. I mean, what is going on with Marcus Rashford? Have you heard anything sort of on, on the inside? Because it is quite... It's quite worrying to see him so out of form. With Marcus Rashford, always for me, Rob, even if he wasn't playing well, his decision-making wasn't great or he was wasteful, he always worked hard. And we're not seeing that. And that's a concern for me. I don't think there's anything kind of like an inverted commas going on with Marcus. I think kind of what we're hearing is that he's been in a bit of a funk. He's just finding it difficult to do certain things. He needs to think his way out of these problems rather than just run his way out of them. So I, I think that that is sometimes Marcus's weakness in terms of, you just said there, about decision-making. You know, when that goal of Southampton was right in front of me, right in front of me, and I did have a moan about it on other shows and on Twitter. And I said, you know, we wanted him to run back in that moment and he just kind of stopped. That's actually a decision up here. That's not lungs or heart. That's your brain saying stop. His brain needs to go, I need to get back in that position. Now, I like that about Jaden. Jaden is a forward-thinking player. He's a flair player. He's a player you associate with scoring goals and getting in the opposition box. He doesn't shirk those responsibilities. That comes up here. And I actually think that's where maybe he's progressed because I think for under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he was struggling in that 4-2-3-1 shape and having to come back and help fullbacks. But in this shape, the way that Rangnick plays it in a 4-1-4-1, more players around you, a shape he's more familiar with, and also not impinging him going forward. So this is not saying, Jaden, you can't get on the front foot. This is why I'm impressed with Ralph. Ralph is allowing the attacking players to go and attack. They're the guys that are going to win you matches and win you points. So don't hold them back. So I think for Marcus, he now needs to drop in with what all these other guys are doing because we're seeing some success in midfield that wasn't there under Ole. And, and Marcus, if he wants to be a player that plays in this 4-3-3 or kind of this more system of playing a 4-1-4-1, he's got to do that extra bit of work and then go and put the ball in the net. He's still Marcus Rashford. Yeah, he could pop tomorrow and we'd all be like, oh, he scored a hat-trick, he's back. And he needs to prove that. But he needs to work his way back in the team now because I think it showed against Leeds that he's not now an automatic starter. And he probably shouldn't be an automatic starter. I think it's a good decision by Ralph. Yeah, and it's like uh, Larry was saying earlier with his comment and, and Alan's sort of echoing that players who aren't playing or producing get benched no matter who they are. And that's that's something I actually yeah. have. I actually admire that about Ralph. Well, we have spoken about Pogba a fair bit, but let's talk about him again quickly because this was his first half statistics against Leeds. And that's 100% successful passes into penalty area, 100% successful take-ons. That was the most. Five attempted dribbles, five successful dribbles. Uh, five ground duels, one as well. So he's getting stuck in doing the defensive side. Two chances created, one big chance created. I mean, the one for Ronaldo. Well, I can't believe Ronaldo missed that. But that was just... I mean, he had four sure on toast during the whole game, to be honest. I mean, he, he couldn't he couldn't deal with him. But that was just sublime. I mean, you're thinking about the, the conditions and 
I mean, look, it felt like obviously back in the day, the picture we waterlogged, these pictures are very modern and they haven't got much mud in them and half of them are are made up of that artificial grass. But there was just puddles everywhere. And the way that he, he his his balance still stuck still stuck, you know, for such a tall player. It was really it was really enjoyable to watch. And people can dislike Paul Pogba. I know there are people that don't like him and uh, they want him to leave the club, but it you know, United become a worse side when he's just not there. That's, it's just a simple fact. And you've seen the statistics this season to suggest that, that when he did play before he got injured. I mean, there is a concern isn't there, around his injury record. He does get injured quite a fair bit. And if you're going to go and fork out big, big wages on him, is that a bit of a concern? I mean, where, where is he in the in this terms of contract? I personally don't think he'll sign a new contract. I think he'll go elsewhere. But I, I would absolutely love him to stay. Well, like I said to you, Haydar, before the show, the longer this goes on now towards the end of the season, the more likelihood that Paul Pogba will sign for Man United. So why do I say that and kind of where's the standpoint in there? There's two kind of two or three ways of looking at this. We'll talk a little bit about more about the game in a second, but just to kind of give everyone a heads up on it. What we know about Paul Pogba, first of all, is that Man United were concerned about his injury record. He spent a lot of time on the treatment table. If you're going to pay someone three, four, five hundred thousand pounds a week, you better be sure that they're helping you win football matches. Paul Pogba has been great, I think, over maybe a two or two and a half year period, but spent way too long on the treatment table. So that's one part of it. This is why Man United did not want to pull the trigger on the deal early. But what does that do then? That allows Paul Pogba to now look at the marketplace. And Paul Pogba, being the player he is, he is truly elite. And you just said there, Man United are a worse team without Paul Pogba. Man United are night and day without Paul Pogba. If you don't have Paul Pogba in there, you haven't got anyone that can do what he does. So I'm not, as again, not just bigging up Paul Pogba. This ain't the Paul, Pug, Paul Pogba fan show. It really isn't. It's about metrics and it's about how you affect winning. 100% successful passes into the penalty area, 100% successful take-ons, the most on the football pitch. And he's dribbling, he's getting the ball down, he's winning duels, he's creating chances and big chances. What more do you want? Now, I'll say this as well, because I have said this in the past. If you sell Paul Pogba, Paul Pogba goes, then you can bring in another player that isn't like Paul Pogba and not as good as Paul Pogba and find ways to win. You could bring in someone like Hannibal, but then you have to maybe restructure your midfield by one or two better kind of more ball-playing players from out the back, like a Michael Carrick, someone like that who can get it down on the deck and do those things. And then you're having a big restructure, Haydar. You're having to buy six players to really mitigate losing one. That isn't good business. That's not clever. So what would be clever here is to now say to Paul Pogba, we do not want to see you at another English Premier League team. We do not want to see you at Real Madrid. We do not want to see you at Barcelona. Please do not go out to Juventus. Here's your deal. This is the money you wanted. Sign it. I think if they do that, we've been told directly from certain quarters that he will sign a contract. So it's up to Manchester United to give him his contract. And I think that he's playing himself. Like people say, he's in the shop window. Well, of course he's in the shop window. But, you know, in the same way that Jesse Lingard might have been at West Ham last year, but no one said, oh, Jesse, you're just in the shop window. You're not any good. No, Paul Pogba is the best at what he does. And he's showing that now. But staying fit is key. And I think that, say, he breaks his ankle tomorrow, Man United might go, no, actually, we don't want to give you that deal because we're not sure about your fitness. However, if he plays from now to the end of the season and is doing what he is doing, Paul Pogba can go in there with a blank check and say to Man United, sign this because you need me more than I need you. And I think that's kind of where we stand now. If United want to be a successful team in the future, you need to keep your best talent, not let them go. 
And that's why, you know, the sort of the title of the show was can Pogba, Sancho and Bruno. And it's been a long time, Rob, since we had players of that caliber, you know, in terms of ball playing ability. Can they help salvage United's season? Look, you don't want to get too high, don't get too low. I think United still are a very inconsistent side. But there are, you know, there's there's definitely signs if they can keep those those three players at the club, obviously Pogba being the one leaving. Mm-hmm. you can start to build something with whoever the next manager is. And then any manager in the world would absolutely love Paul Pogba in their side. They would yeah. love Bruno Fernandes, they love Jadon Sancho. They're all three very, very good players. And Man United aren't blessed with a lot of technically gifted players, in, in my opinion. Um, and you can't lose them. You've got, to, you've got to keep them and then build a team around them. But you we do, will yeah. talk now. I mean, something I do want to bring up as well is that he, Pogba does look happy, doesn't he? under Ranić, you know, yeah. he's he's playing in the he position is. that he's preferred. He loves playing with Bruno Fernandes. You can see that between them there's a there's a lovely chemistry between them. They get on very well off the pitch as well. So I, I don't believe he's unhappy, but ultimately Man United need to win to start winning trophies. They've got players there who will be entering into their prime. Bruno Fernandes wants to win trophies, James Sancho wants to win their tr- win trophies. And United have to match that ambition. And they haven't done that, let's be honest, over the last 8 years, 9 years or so. That's right. Look, I, I addressed this on the Promised Land uh, podcast, my other podcast that I do. Uh, and I talked that, you know, there's a lot in the media about dysfunction at Man United and disharmony in the dressing room and factions and, you know, people kind of, you know, putting off Ronaldo versus Maguire and all this. It's not true. Now, the players are unhappy when results are not going well and they might make comments to people that they're not happy, but that's normal. You need to be like that. No one is in that dressing room looking at Paul Pogba and his deal and going, oh, we're not happy about this. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work like that. This bunch actually do get on with each other, which is why it's mystifying sometimes when they let each other down because you kind of think to yourself, well, you know, that didn't work this week. Why did it not work? I think when you look at United's performances over the last three, four or five games under Ranić, the issues have not really been about the technicalities of the game. It's been about being able to do it for 90 minutes, get to 70 minutes, had a half decent game, 20 minutes, it all just collapses, longer balls, players coming on and off, doesn't work. What do you do then? So Ranić's fighting fire and it needs to be less firefighting. I think this is kind of what Ranić is good at. He's good at getting his players to be organised and finding better ways. In the middle of that is Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba playing in that role in a 4-1-4-1 means he can help defensively, he can drop deeper, get the ball, move it on quickly. But more than that, he can be an attacking player. He can be on the edge of the box. He can look up. He can see Ronaldo. He can see Bruno. He can have Jaden on the outside and Luke Shaw overlapping. If you've got Paul Pogba on the ball there, you're in a really, really good place. So I think we need to see more of that. Give him his contract. Now, I don't care how much the Glazers pay people. I, I say it all the time. It's the Glazers' money. Pay players that, that, that you deserve to keep. I get there's a lot of Man United fans who are totally the opposite and are like, sell Paul Pogba, he's this, that, and the other. Well, if you sell Paul Pogba, be careful what you wish for. Because if you don't get, you know, if you sell Ronaldo and you replace him with Antonio Valencia, like Man United once did, you could have years there of trying to fix a position, you know, trying to fix the number seven shirt. It didn't work for years. I think if you get rid of Paul Pogba on this occasion, and you don't pay him. You might be finding a midfielder coming in who doesn't quite fit the bill. You're and saying hello to John, John McGinn, Rob. That's who you're saying hello to. No, well, that's what player, we're talking about. Aren't we talking about John true. McGinn? You're totally right. You're talking about those kind of that level of player from a mid-table Premier League team. Now, not saying anything bad about John McGinn. I think he's a, a, a fine player at some of the stuff he does. He's not fit to lace Paul Pogba's boots when we talk about 
certain metrics. So you've got to be careful. Paul Pogba works a lot harder for the team than people give him credit for. And if you don't believe it, go and look at his running stats. His running stats show that he puts the miles in. It's just that he's a bit of a kind of lanky Bambi type runner, isn't it? He just looks like someone who's not running very hard, not running very far. When you look at the metrics, it shows that he does all of that work. You know, there, there, five ground jewels won. You know, that's that's more than McTominay won. It's just bottom dollar. And McTominay was the guy tasked to go and win the ball back at Leeds, not Pogba. So I think Pogba does all of those things as well. It's just that perception is sometimes more powerful than fact. Yeah, it's a great point, actually, because McTominay looks like he's working harder, running harder, goes into tackles, you know, more aggressively. And he, and and he, he does. looks like he's throwing himself he around hard. more. Yeah. But the statistics, yeah. that's why you've got, you can't yeah. discount the, the statistics. You also have to look at the eye test as well. But mm -hmm. statistics are that foundation, aren't they? And you build off it. And, and that's, how you, that's how you make it. So Yeah, sometimes yeah. you feel something. I do this. I go to Old Trafford. I feel something. And then I go and check it against the stats. And sometimes I go... Did I re did I did is that real then? Did I really feel that? And sometimes I retract. I go back and go. Actually, do you know what he did do well? He did take his man on. He did this and the other. And you can then kind of rewrite it in your head a little bit. But then that's because you've had time to think about it. We've said this about our show, haven't we? That our reactions sometimes are very different immediately post match to the following day. It gives us time to breathe and allow all the data to kind of seep into our brains a little bit more, but it happens with that. I get with Paul, people who look at Paul Pogba, they think he's lazy. He doesn't do his job. Then when you look at the stats, it completely shows that he's an elite midfielder and he does all the work and does all the skill bits as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now let's move on to Bruno Fernandes, the third player out of, uh, you know, the sort of the standout players, Yesterday from Manchester United, and look, just looking at Bruno Fernandez's goal involvements, it's just absolutely crazy. 60 goal involvements, uh, Premier League goal involvements from Man United in 76 appearances. That's 35 goals and 25 assists. It's absolutely staggering. And it's also important to notice he scored his ninth goal in the Premier League uh, yesterday against Leeds, and he's not taking penalties. So, you know... And that's a big thing. I think he should be on penalties. better than Ronaldo at penalties, in my opinion. I don't know why he's been... Well, I do know why. And he should also be on set pieces. Again, I don't know why Ronaldo is taking set pieces. Um, yeah, I can't remember the last time he scored a free kick. Um, but look, Bruno Fernandes, again, his numbers, you can see up on the screen. I don't think he had a great game, Rob, if I'm honest with you. I thought he was effective. Um, you know, obviously, again, look, six ground jewels, one, four ball recoveries. So he does the hard work. I've seen, I've seen people say that he doesn't work half for the team. He's probably the one that works harder than anyone else, in my opinion. It's very visible that he does. Uh, he scored a goal and he got an assist. Fantastic. Almost Burkham-esque. Um, you know, a little flick round uh, strike, I believe it was. And then the pass to Alanga. Uh, that was a fantastic goal. But you're looking at Bruno Fernandes. What I like about him since Ranić has come in, and look, he still does hero ball. It's still frustrating. He loses possession. But he's definitely become more disciplined. He's definitely not just running, you know, uh, running as a headless chicken when he's pressing and doing his own thing. He's part of a he's part of a system, and uh, he understands that he's got a role. He's got a you know the pressing triggers, and then what I also like about him is that his ball retention has got better. And look, he's got a really good um, an eye for a, for a quality pass. He really does. He does do that. He's created the most chances in the Premier League this season out of any player more than Kevin De Bruyne. Or I believe maybe he's just behind Trent. He's up there anyway with Trent Alexander Arnold. Very, very creative. Yeah. You can say what you want about Bruno Fernandes. He can frustrate, but he's he's clutch. And he comes up with big moments. And he's effective. And he scores goals. And he gets assists. And uh, what I did like, I do want to talk about this. <laughs> I tweeted about it. I want to see Bruno Fernandes as a false nine for Man United. I liked what we saw when he, when he sort of played there very, very briefly. I want United to push Pogba further forward. 
I want to maybe see Fred in their midfield with his energy. And then, you know, you can you can decide who plays on the right-hand side, whether it's Alango, whether it's uh, Jesse or Rashford. I mean, I think that spot is still, you know, it's up for grabs and you have Sancho off the left. I think that would work really, really well. And then you still get Bruno's off-the-ball movement. I think that's where he's most dangerous, getting him into dangerous areas. And you have Pogba and Sancho as the creators for him, supplying chances and, and spotting those runs. If Ranit can build on that, I think it's actually something that will suit all those three players' skill set. So are you going to say out loud, Haydar, in front of our audience, that you want Cristiano Ronaldo dropped? I want Cristiano Ronaldo. Are you going to say it, say it out loud? Minutes to get managed. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a better answer. That's a no, good I do. Because I, I, I think... Good journalist I answer. Say, I like that one. No, but one thing one thing I'll say about Ronaldo is that he is working hard. You can't doubt yeah. he's he's pressing. He's, he's, he's actually... Some, you know, people said before he's never going to press. We had this discussion. He is pressing. It's just that you're seeing his age now. It doesn't mean he won't come up with goals, but... You know, the right decision was to take yeah. him off, wasn't it, it, it? Against he's pressing, but he's yeah. not effective in the press. So there's a difference. So, you know, what, what we're trying to achieve here, I think, at Man United is for players to become economical and good at their jobs and doing seven things rather than just doing one thing. So Cristiano, you get the ball in that obviously the other game recently, on the edge of the box, slams it in the bottom corner, fantastic goal. Cristiano can do that. You want Cristiano on the ball in those moments. But I completely agree with you. And this is obviously I've said this on our show before. Bruno Fernandez. Is, could be the best false nine in the world. I really do believe that. When you look at kind of how Man City play with their false nine, how Liverpool play with their false nine, obviously with Firmino, but obviously at times with Jota, Salah filling in there at times as well every now and then. It's about the system. How do you make the system work? And look at the goal. Look at his goal. It, that was him running in deep from a false position into a striker's position. And what you had was Ronaldo kind of more coming from the channel. So... In the, in the constructs of the game of a 4-1-4-1, you can kind of play Bruno in a false role, but also doing other things in midfield. So you had there, obviously, Pogba playing this floating eight role, meaning that he gets to him as a left channel. And you have Bruno kind of moving around more, but getting in the box. Bruno Fernandes is less of a player when he's being asked to sit in a more conventional midfield, either in a three behind a three or, or 20, 30, 40 yards away from the striker with the ball on the deck. He's not very good at that. That's why he gets pulled for Portugal, because he plays that role for them, plays deeper, loses the ball, doesn't affect the, the play in the opposition box, and then you pull him on 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes, whatever, whatever you want to do to kind of change your game plan. So I think that that, was, that showed under Solskjaer as well, that when, when uh, Ronnie came back to the football club, that was an issue, that Bruno was not getting foot, uh, up towards the top end of the pitch, not scoring goals, not delivering the metrics. When we look at here, there's kind of 76 appearances, 35 goals, 25 assists. This has started to be recovered now in recent weeks because he's playing a more productive, progressive style of football and being allowed to go and affect the game. I think under Solskjaer, he simply had dropped off in those, in those areas. It just wasn't working for him. He'd gone from being last season the most important player at the club to just being another midfielder. Now, that's a problem because he needs to be elevated as being one of your leaders on the football pitch. I think when you take responsibility away from him, he actually becomes less disciplined, less of a player, less creative, less assertive. Petulant, I, I, Rob. He complains a lot. Look, look, he's petulant, but he's always going to be petulant. But He will be petulant to the day he leaves Man United. He will never not be petulant. But you have to work again within the numbers and within what happens. So look at the goal. That was his fault. It was his fault. So we talked about Luke Shaw at the back post. Luke should have covered the runner, no doubt. But Bruno can't 
wait for the ball to come to him when the ball is coming out of defence. That, that for me, I, so I, I got called crazy. I thought that was a foul. Genuinely thought that was a foul. I've watched it a lot. It's not foul. It's not foul because Bruno over exits. His fault. He he knows that he's lost the ball, and he kind of tells the referee, "I've lost the ball and watch me roll around for a bit." And even after that, when when the ball when it goes to VAR and they're checking it, when VAR says goal, he gets up and just kind of goes, "Ugh." So I think that if that was Scott McTominay, it probably might have been given as a foul because it's considered more honest. Do you get what I'm saying? But I'm not too worried about that. I'm not bothered about that too much. I don't want Bruno to lose the ball there, but I'd rather Bruno not be the player who's coming back for the ball there. Do you get what I'm saying? So in a more kind of, in a, in a better shape in a 4-1-4-1, he would not be the guy coming to pick that pass there. That would have been Pogba or someone with, with better ball skills. I think Bruno can um, can create on the edge of the opposition box in terms of ball skills. I actually think he's very good in our third of the pitch. He gives the ball away a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. there as well, ball recovery is really, really good. I think that's good for ground jewels. One, six, really, really good. 50 touches, 100% shot accuracy. Again, these are things we need to see from Bruno week in, week out. And we're seeing that now with his work rate being more disciplined. It was only about five, six, seven weeks ago we were doing shows saying that Bruno had lost his discipline. I think he's got that back a little bit. I think he also understands that Man United win games He's got to be a big part of that. He can't be a passenger. And the issue was that Ronaldo being on a football pitch was taking all the opportunity away from Bruno. And now he's creating his own opportunities again, like he was last season, where it wasn't really, didn't really matter who played a striker last year, did it? Bruno was like, I'm still getting in the box. Now he's kind of let go of that. Ronaldo's doing a little bit more channel work. And it's allowing Bruno to actually score the odd goal now, getting onto the penalty spot. And that goal was really, really good. A real false nine strikers got finish. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to, Rob, we've got two more topics now. We'll, we'll quickly sort of just touch on David Ahead, then we will do a forward thinking. Mm-hmm. There is a question here from PA saying, you know, thoughts on the athletic game. We will, we will touch on that as a forward looking uh, piece. But uh, David Ahead, we have a screen grab here from Fabrizio Romano uh, with some comments from David Ahead saying, now I feel as if I'm. From Manchester, honestly, I don't see myself away from Man United. I just feel like anyone else from Manchester where you are loved and welcomed, is, and welcomed, I believe that says in your home uh, or is your home. I've been here for many years. That's very, very interesting because David De Gea is a very, very big topic at the moment. All the analysts, all the stats geeks will turn around to you and say, David De Gea is the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League. Um, no, I'm joking. They don't say that. But they do make... Some valid points in terms of his distribution. I mean, I'm seeing that he he was getting blamed um, for I think it was against Brighton, I believe. No, sorry, against Leeds, where he he basically miskicks it um, and Leeds get a chance, uh, and then he makes a save. It's a very very difficult conversation. I see both sides of the argument. If May United do want to go forward and be a side which is going to build out from the back, you need a sweeper keeper. And that was something Henderson was doing. I'm not, I'm not a big Henderson fan, if I'm honest. But there were times, you know, remember the Spurs game last season where he did that very, very well. Where are you sitting on David De Gea? It does look like he's probably going to get a new contract, which means he's locked into May night for at least another three to four years. He will have his prime years at Manchester United. Great shot stopper. He does worry me that he doesn't come off his line. He isn't great with the ball at his feet. Is this something that he can be coached and trained going forward the biggest problem is that if you're gonna give David De Gea a new contract I absolutely love David De Gea and I, I'm very sitting on the fence with this because I do see the merits of and I do see his weaknesses with the ball at his feet but say let's say Ten Hag comes in it's just an example he'll want to play with out from the back is it counterproductive the main night go and give 
De Gea a new contract now before the new manager can come in and say, yes, I want this player and that player. Because you're almost doing that what United have done for years where a manager asks for, Louis van asks for money and then you don't give him money. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. So is it better to wait to find out who the manager is and then start issuing new contracts? Um, or should United be issuing him and should he remain United's number one for years to come? I'm very, very on the fence. I don't believe that he's such a terrible keeper and he's a, play he's a keeper that's causing Man United a lot of problems because I just think that sometimes... You can look at the stats, but you also got to use your eyes as well. And we say this all the time. Use both of them in conjunction. And the, the stats don't always tell the full full picture. Yeah, look, look again, Let's uh, we are a tactical show, so let's try and keep it from tactics. Let's just do look at stats, but then apply it to real-world science. So David De Gea is no doubt, I, in my mind, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He is. You know, when you look at kind of his uh, XG, how he affects uh, defensive play for Man United, this year, if... David De Gea hadn't been in goal, Man United would have conceded nine more goals. That's what the prediction would have been. That's what the metrics tell us. So those nine goals mean that Man United might well have been in mid-table now. It really it is that kind of dramatic. But let's kind of look at the pros and the cons. The pros of, the, uh, of this is that David De Gea is one of the best shot stoppers in the world, but he's also not very good with his feet. Now, I think that he's actually better with his feet than people do give him credit for, but it's more about, again, effective XG. How do you get that ball forward? How do you how do you play out from the back and get your team being effective the other, uh, the other end of the football pitch from the back? And your goalkeeper has become a massive part of that. So I think when you compare all the metrics together, David De Gea rates as about the fourth best goalkeeper in the Premier League when you take into account everything. When you take into account how good they are with their feet, how they sh uh, stop goals, uh, uh, catching ability. Who's the top ones. four? Who's that? Sorry, who's ahead of me, Rob? I'm interested well, to hear. Well, the top three, just again from memory, are, are the two you would expect. And that is Edison Allison, And that's yeah. because they have such a huge upside in getting their team out from the back to the front. A huge upside. And they also save the ball. And they also have the best clean sheet record. And they also have conceded the least goals. But number three, last year this was as well, and it's a player who gets cr uh, criticised a lot, was actually Loris. So you look at Loris and what he does at uh, Tottenham. He's a player that people now say is rubbish. You know, so this is what happened with De Gea. So when you look at De Gea, he's kind of rated fourth overall over that 12-month span. But the big problem is he's about 18th with his feet. So when you break it down, he's about number 18 or 17 in the league. So there's another seven, there's, you know, there's a there's a ton of goalkeepers better than him on the deck. Well, he's bottom three. That, that's, that's a problem if your goalkeeper is relegation on the floor. Right, that is a big problem. So, should Man United give him a new deal? I'm on the fence as well. I I do like David De Gea, and I you know I've always supported him. And I did say last year that I think there was a natural transition with his form being poor at that time to to Dean Henderson. Dean Henderson is better on the deck. Dean Henderson is not a sweeper keeper, not by any means. He's a bit better positionally. He'll play on the edge of his box. He'll come for the ball more. And that's, I think, where De Gea's weakness is, is that he does not help his centre-backs in those moments. How, how often do you see maybe the ball go behind Maguire and it's De Gea sweeping behind getting it? It's rare, isn't it? It doesn't oh, happen I, I, a lot. I can't even remember the last you time, can't last even time remember De Gea it. did that. So yeah. that's a problem because at those other two clubs who are winning everything, City and Liverpool, their goalkeepers do that and they do it for fun. That helps in those moments. That means that your XG of expected goals to concede goes down massively because that's what they do. Because De Gea doesn't do it, that makes Man United vulnerable. Yes, he saved a ton of goals this year. 
He's been sensational. He's the player of the year at the moment, as it stands, because he's made so many, you know, game-saving opportunities. He's, he's what he is. Can you coach it? No, I don't think you can coach someone to be completely, personality-wise, completely different. I don't think David De Gea is suddenly going to be a sweeper-keeper coming off his line and playing 40-yard cutting passes to the fullback and getting you out. I don't think that can ever happen. But what you can do is you can bring in a number two that does that to De Gea, you know, a replacement, and allow them to work together and then actually have a goalkeeper that in games that you need to be better at passing the ball out to actually be able to rotate that keeper and be able to do that. I don't think Dean Henderson's the answer to that. We know that Dean Henderson will leave the football club. I think that's absolutely absolutely nailed on. But you do need to maybe bring in a young goalkeeper who is more of a sweeper-keeper and can learn under De Gea and learn all the good stuff that De Gea does and eventually have that transition. Um, But it's a difficult one, Haydar, because what what we're effectively saying here is that David De Gea is your player of the season, but you might have to get rid of him. Can Can I add something which is very, very... A lot of people look and he's had the most saves as well. That's not a good stat. Man United bad keepers should never have the most. Yeah. But that's not a bad reflection on him. That's a bad reflection on the team, the defensive structure it's and, and, the, and the chances the that we're conceding. Yeah. Bad on but the back four and bad on yeah. the midfielders. So yeah. like those chances, of, and, and he's saving big chances. Like when we look at the metrics again, he's not like, he's not little P-rollers that he's picking up off the ground. He's having to put his, his hand in the top and right bottom corners. And that's the only time he's getting beaten. The goal that Leeds scored was a complete fluke. People blamed him for it. Very, very hard in those weather conditions where you can hardly see you know, I think he wears contact lenses as well. So that water would have been in his eyes. And it was really, really difficult to see a ball looped over that's sliced and ends up right in the top corner. You know, he should have been maybe back on his line by another inch or two. He might have saved it. But I'm not blaming him for that. I really am not. It's just a, a freak goal. And it happens in football. Um, and But other than that, he does do those shot-stopping duties. But the game is changing. And it means that Man United want to be more like Man City it means that you might have to move out your goalkeeper who is very, very good, but then have a goalkeeper that maybe is not as good shot stopper, but is much better on the deck and allows your defence to breathe a little bit more. You know, actually does the sweeper-keeper stuff and can pick out passes. That man is uh, Jose Saar that plays for Wolves. Been phenomenal this Been season. Brilliant. Great with his yeah. feet. Good shot stopper. If Man United are going to look for a goalkeeper, that's who I'd like us to go for. And I think he's a top six rated goalkeeper this year. Like when you, again, you look at the metrics, he's doing all the other work as well. So he is great on the deck. But if you said to a lot of Man United fans tomorrow, oh yeah, we're going to replace Wolves goalkeeper and going to come in for David De Gea, who's a, who's a lifetime legend at Man United. I think again, most Man United fans would not be hot on it. You know, they just wouldn't. It's just not a populist kind of transfer. But it is the kind of thing you need to do. No one knew who Edison was when he came to the club. And when Alisson went for 80 odd million from Roma, people went, what? 80 million for a goalkeeper who's a you know shot stopper and not very big. That's a lot of money. And yet it was the right transfer. Klopp got the player he needed. And I think the next manager coming in is important. Like you just mentioned that Ten Hag, obviously we know he's massively rated in terms of Man United's board and will he come to the football club? The answer to that might be yes. And if it is yes, does he want to hire in goal? I'm not so sure. No, I, I agree with that. And that's what I'm thinking because obviously it could be Ten Hag, it could be Pochettino, it could even be... I think Ranić likes him and I think Ranić would probably keep him. But Ten Hag would definitely... I mean. Onana obviously is, was the keeper at Ajax. I believe he's now going to Inter. So I don't know. Ranić would keep feet. him. I think Ranić would want a keep. When you play the counter press, you want your goalkeeper to counter press as well. Yeah. So you want your centre backs to do it, your full backs to do it, and you want your goalkeeper to go and meet the striker. Yeah. If the striker's coming through, 
You want your goalkeeper on the edge of the box. And I did notice that with De Gea and Henderson, when they've played for United, their starting position is on the edge of the box more than in the goal. It's just that up here, that's not where it's natural to them. They don't think they've got to go meet. Where Edison is literally like playing as a midfielder at times, you know, coming and meeting the ball and cutting off those passes. Ranić, as a counter-presser, would love that in his goalkeeper. And and I don't think if Ranić was a manager next year, I think there's every chance that he would move to Hayer on as a big as a big move out and bring in another goalkeeper, a younger goalkeeper that can do those modern-day goalkeeping things. He's probably moved both of them on, to be honest. But, Rob, look, yeah. right before we wrap up, let's just quickly, a couple of minutes, touch on uh, our thoughts for the Atletico game. They aren't playing well. This is a comment here from PA, but will be a completely different game. Uh, obviously, to the Leeds one, nowhere near the space Leeds give up. Yeah, I was actually not not too pleased to have Atletico. Obviously, we saw the whole farce with the draw, and they messed up. And we initially had PSG, and that been interesting, obviously, against Pochettino. But uh, yeah, look, Atletico are in, are in very poor form, but they're going to be very difficult to break down. They're going to be well organized. Simeone is a big game manager. We've done a masterclass on Simeone, guys. Make sure you do check that out. Actually, the Simeone podcast we did because we broke down his his tactics. Um, and we talked about his career. There's a comment here saying Ronaldo time. Look, Ronaldo loves playing against Atletico. He loves scoring against them. But uh, what are your thoughts for it? Because I think United starting to pick up a nice little bit of form. Um, Atletico have a couple of game changes. I actually saw a comment today. I don't know who it was from saying um, that Suarez and Griezmann will both be on the bench. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but uh, yeah, how do you see this one playing out for Man United? There won't be space. We probably will have more possession um but uh yeah we're gonna have to break break them down and we're gonna have to i, I look we're gonna have to uh, it's gonna be a difficult game I, i'm not too sure how it'll go if i'm honest with you it's a tough game no doubt about it simeone is a tough manager atletico when they're playing well are tough uh the positive for man united and the positive for ranik is that atletico are built to counter press you can counter press them no doubt about it when you look at the man for man and you look at kind of what united can do United can win the ball back quickly in midfield against his team, the way they move the ball. They'll move the ball slower than a Premier League team will. They won't do what Burnley do and hit the channel and make you go backwards. They will play more through the middle. They'll play like a typical Spanish team. And that actually helps Man United set up and be and actually kind of conserve and be economical in their work rate. So you win the ball back and all the energy is about then getting forward in those one or two transitional passes. Who does that also help? Cristiano Ronaldo. Much easier to run that last man and being able to look at that and being used to those Spanish systems. You know, Cristiano knows it like the back of his hand. Um, and I think it's actually a good matchup for Man United. But of course, they have to execute. And it, it, I don't think it's going to be a slow chess match. I really don't. I think it's going to be a kind of battle of 4-4-2 variations. So both these two managers like to be in those variations. United might go back to a 4-2-2-2 because that will suit playing Atletico. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Let's see how it goes. I, I think that, that when you talk about Suarez and Griezmann, of course, they're the, these players that can give you an X factor and they might be saved for later on in the game. You might see that, that Atletico set up more discipline just because they've been giving up chances and goals that in previous years, Simeone teams don't give up. So I think Simeone will be conscious of that and he will be very conscious of the fact that there's a certain Cristiano up top. That's where sometimes the allure of Cristiano more than his work rate can work in your favour because it then opens up space for Bruno, opens up space for Jaden, and it opens up space for Paul Pogba. 
Absolutely. And guys, look, thanks so much for all your fantastic comments. It's great to be back, Robbie. It has been a while, obviously. And uh, we always love talking about United. And obviously, when Man United win, we all always enjoy that conversation. Just so that you guys know, we are going to be doing the Masterclass once a week. Obviously, there's games coming up, double, double game weeks, etc. We're doing once a week. So look, for example, if United play on the Saturday, we'll go live on the Sunday Rob, at midday. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. if we're on the Sunday, we'll go live around about this time on the Monday. So just make sure, um, if you don't see, obviously, the, the posts on Twitter, just just don't worry. We'll be going live. It just gives us a little bit of time to digest. And uh, obviously, Shershar is here, and he's asking about the FPL. Yes, the FPL Masterclass will be back. I believe we are back on Wednesday for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, unfortunately, Rob was sick, so we couldn't do it. But don't worry, we are back. Rob, do you have anything to add before we wrap up? No, nothing with Chad. I just think that Man United not in the too bad of a place at the moment. You know, I, I I like Ranić. I know that all the talk in the next few weeks is going to be about Ten Hag and Pochettino, and there's reasons for that. And you know, we will also talk about that. If you said to me right at this moment of time, would you give Ranić a contract? I would still say yes. I'm sticking to it because I like what I'm seeing. I'm liking the building through the, the foundations of Manchester United with the players that he's got. The players are definitely happy with what they're doing with the work. I think they're they're okay with it, and it's a de it's a developing uh, story, isn't it? I think with this system. So let's wait and see. You know, I think it's going to be a it's going to be so much to talk about when it comes to an, uh, the next manager. I get the feeling it probably won't be Ranik. I'm just giving you my personal opinion there. Um, but yeah, stick with us, and we'll do tactics with you once a week, as you said there. Also, guys, I do my uh, the Promised Land podcast on Tuesdays and Fridays. So you'll be able to get that on Spotify and on YouTube. So please subscribe to that. And as we just talked about there, our FPL show will generally go two days out live on Twitter before the deadline. So the deadline this week is Friday. So we will go out on the Wednesday. And it gives you two days then to watch the show to share the show and look at all the stats and bits and bobs that we give you and then make your changes on deadline day. Absolutely. Guys, as always, give myself a follow on at Hader underscore Rob. Barney. Give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. And make sure you check out The Promised Land. You can see Rob will tweet about it. We'll chuck it as well in the description so you guys can have a look at that because Rob is on that regularly twice a week. And obviously we do this once a week. Give us a follow on at TF Maskus. Look, Man United have beaten Leeds. It's always fun to beat your rivals, especially uh, Leeds. Are we on the up? I don't know, Rob. I think the signs are there. We can't get too high, can't get too low. But look, if we beat Atletico and we beat Watford on the weekend, we definitely have, you know, reasons to be positive. Anyway, guys, see you later and we'll see you all next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. 